take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. I spent some time this week thinking about what I was going to speak on. Obviously, I wanted it to somewhat revolve around missions. We spoke last week about the heart of a missionary. And I really didn't know what I was going to preach on, but the Lord brought this to mind. And to be honest with you, I literally asked him to give me something else to preach. Because I just did not want to preach on it. I've not heard many sermons preached on this passage before. And I now know why. Because it's not an easy one to study, and it's definitely not going to be an easy one to preach. I will try having you out of here by 8 o'clock, but we'll see where the Lord leads us. Revelation chapter 20. We'll start reading in verse number 11. This is, without a doubt, one of the most solemn passages in all the Word of God. It is a very sad time as we behold what is known to many and most as the great white throne of judgment. We'll start reading in verse number 11. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, There was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the sermon. Father God, we ask you tonight, from the very deepest part of our heart, that you would please intervene in this service. Father, if you do not meet with us from this point on in the service, it will surely have been in vain that we have met tonight. Father, we have met to come and worship you. We have met to see wondrous things out of your law. But Lord, unless you reveal them to our spirit, they will be but foolishness and ignorance to us. God, I pray that you give us divine revelation, if you will. And Lord, I pray that you would illuminate the scriptures to us like we've never seen them before. Father, I pray that you would give me a handle on this passage. Lord, I've already prayed in depth that you would help me. And so, Lord, I pray and I ask that you do that for me. I pray that each and every person in the congregation tonight would, with an open heart, listen to what is said. And, Lord, I pray that you would receive nothing but glory and honor from this sermon and from this time we meet. It's in your Son's precious name I pray. Amen. Now, obviously, we have some visitors this week. I don't know if you noticed, but my wife had her parents come in. And so they are staying with us, and I would say nothing but that I'm very excited that they're here. I enjoy the fact that my mother-in-law cleans the house. I enjoy the fact that they keep Caitlin out of my hair. I get to just sit there and watch whatever they want. Last night, we sat there and we watched the Duke-North Carolina game. And that is a terrible time to have your in-laws come to your house especially if they are University of North Carolina fans and you are a diehard Duke fan. Even though they are not totally invested in the game as much as I am, at one point I had to look at my mother-in-law and say, now you're not going to start talking trash here, are you? I quote, did I not say that to you, Mom? So 
I'm enjoying having them, man. We're going to have a good time. We're going to enjoy spending time with Caitlin. We're going to eat at some nice restaurants while we're here. Man, we stopped on the way back from air the airport. We ate Rudy's Barbecue. Man, I love me some Rudy's. That's how brisket ought to be ordered. They ought to give you an option. If you want it moist, wet, and fatty, or if you want it skinny, dry, and stale. I want the fatty stuff, man. I want that thing to ooze in my mouth. Ooh, that's the flavor. You cook all the flavor out if you dry that brisket out. I love me some Rudy's. So we stopped at Rudy's. We're going to have a good time while we're here. One of the things that my mother-in-law is known for is she likes to read. My wife also likes to read. Me and my father-in-law are more spiritual. We don't read anything but the Word of God. <laughs> Amen, Dad. Yes, sir. So, uh, But my mother-in-law loves to read. But she, as a person, cannot take a tremendous amount of suspense. Like when we leave Walmart and we're walking to her car, that's just about as much as she can handle right there. Suspense is not her thing. And so she'll open a book and she'll read about three to four pages. And she'll see the direction that that book is headed. And if she feels like there will be too much suspense for her, you know what she does? She flips to the last of the book. And she reads the conclusion of everything, the summation of what that book is. She reads that. And then she decides whether or not she has the wherewithal to go back. And usually, if it ends the way she wants to, she'll go back and start reading at those three pages she left off. And she'll continue reading and read the whole thing. And she already knew what was going to happen because she read the back of the book. You want to know why we ought to be the most effective evangelists that there are in this world? It's because we know that Revelation chapter 20 exists. It's because we know the condemnation that every man who is in rejection of the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, every man will stand at this trial. That's why you ought to be a good missionary. That's why it ought to be your heartbeat. That's why it ought to be your very reason for living. Oh, you don't work to live. You don't live to work. You just work so that you can be a missionary. You work so that you can be a servant of Jesus Christ. Working for Alcon, working for Shell, working for whatever company you work on is, is not the calling of your life. You know why you ought to be a missionary? Because every man great and small, will stand before a righteous judge. I want to take a look today at just a few things that the back of the book shows us. I want you to first of all notice with me an innumerable congregation. An innumerable congregation, you see, there is a tremendous crowd that gathers here in Revelation chapter 20. It's a large crowd, if you will, a, a, a very large congregation. Verse 11 tells us that there is one there who's just going to be a little bit different than everyone else. Verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne. Now that throne's not great because it's a throne. That throne is great because the one who sits on that throne. And the reason it is white is because it was made for the perfect Lamb of God, the great white throne of judgment, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled, fled away. You see, at this great white throne of judgment, there is going to be someone who is very unique. Especially, if you will, the judge. Now, you may think that the judge is God, but if you study your Bible, the judge is not God. It is Jesus Christ. 
You see, the Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. It's not the only place it says this. Acts chapter 17, verse 31 says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man which he hath ordained. Oh, who is that? Whereof he hath given assurance of, unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. You see, it's not the Father that's standing in judgment. It is the one who laid himself on the cross of Calvary. He will be the one on the great white throne of judgment. And he will be the righteous judge that day. Oh, the judge is going to be quite special. I want you to notice two things about this judge. I want you to notice, first of all, the face. Look at the face. Verse 11, the Bible says, Whose face... I tell you what, I am so excited to see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't even begin to imagine people talk about wanting to see the scars in his hands. Oh, that's the, that's the bad part of the story. That's the sad part of the story is that God had to come to man so that man could penetrate his hands with, with nails and penetrate his feet with, with nails and hang him on a cruel cross. That's the sorrowful part of the story. You know what I'm excited about? looking up in the middle of heaven, and I'll see the sun. Oh, not the S-U-N, the S-O-N. Uh, we are creating a sign right now. One of the phrases I wanted to use on it is, we make sure we're keeping the sun in every Sunday. You see, I'm so excited that when I get to look out my window, as people like to say, I'll look out and behold the glorious face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he will be the light in heaven. So excited for that day. But you know who's going to be at this judgment we're reading about tonight? The same men who spat in his face. Well, we know that story, don't we? We know the story of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's been condemned by the high priest and by Pilate. And now he has been sentenced to bear his own cross and to die on it. And they scourge him and they beat him and they plait a crown of thorns on his head. But what do they do? They spit in the face of an almighty God. I want you to know that as these men that spat in his face, behold his face this day, there will be a tremendous amount of fear that strikes their heart. And it's not only those men who lived when Jesus did and were uh, assigned the duty of, of crucifying our Lord. Oh, it's not just them. It's the atheist, the scientist, who today screams that we are born from baboons. Who today says, I deny the fact that there is any supreme being. I deny the fact that there is any creator God. We are of our own origin, and we had the wherewithal one day for a single-celled organism to develop into a multi-cell organism, and we evolved over uh, the amount of centuries and eons of time. And you see, men are trying to make themselves the center of their own creation, are they not? But the man who stands up and boldly proclaims that there is no God will feel just as ashamed as they look in the face of Jesus as the men that spat in his face. Well, there will be a tremendous amount of fear this day. When I was in, high, uh, in, in elementary school at Godly High School, and contrary to what the name might sound like, it is not a godly place. Brother Doug knows <laughs> And man, I tell you, we had this 
this uh, scoring system, if you will. It was our citizenship grade. Now, I've not ever been great at academics, but I have been much less great at citizenship. I guess I like talking more than the teacher. I, I had a lot to say. And so what they would do is they had a green dot, yellow dot, red dot system. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all are familiar. What color do y'all think was good? Green. Very rarely did my calendar have that one on it. Most of the times I'd come home with yellow, but I remember the first day I got a red. See, what we had to do is we had to take that calendar home and we had to get mom to sign it. And I was thinking... Wonder if I could sign for mom. I wonder if I could finagle my way into convincing this teacher that I am my mother and I signed for it and that she approves of this red mark. I remember the fear that struck my heart when I realized that my signature looked nothing like Ginger Wolfenbarger's signature and I was going to have to present this calendar to my mother. I presented that calendar and I said, Mom, godly is very different in the way that three yellows make a red, which actually is good. And I was trying to sell that. She didn't buy it. Man, I got in a lot of trouble, but I remember how scared I was trying to present when I had done bad to my mom. Revelation 20 paints a picture of a whole lot of people who are going to look in the face of a righteous judge. You know the reason he's righteous? Not because of his works, because he is always right. And as he judges them, his judgments are not wrong. And they're going to have to face the man, the God-man, who they sped in his face while they were on this earth. And despite his tremendous love and compassion, despite his effort of dying on the cross of Calvary, despite the fact that millions and millions of people have been trying to get this message out, despite the signs on the highway, despite the bumper stickers on the cars, they outright rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And they're going to have to stand before him and with a tremendous amount of fear explain why. See, one of the most amazing things about door knocking is when you place yourself on the other side of the door. You see, if I was on the inside of their home and I did not know Christ, I would beg for someone to come bother me. And maybe I wouldn't know it at the time, but you see, I know the end result. And as a soul winner, as a preacher, I knock on their door knowing full well they may reject me. Knowing full well they might not want to hear the message that I have. But at the end of the day, I can't let them stand in this line. If they stand in this line in Revelation chapter 20, it will not be because I was not screaming in front of them saying, Don't go there. Know Jesus Christ personally. He came and died for your sins and for the sins of the world. And I just, as a preacher and as a Christian and as somebody who's read the back of the book, I can't stand idly by and let people... Wind up in this judgment. I'm so scared of the fear that will strike their heart in this day. The Bible not only tells us that there will be a judge there, but the Bible tells us that there will be a group of people who are being judged. Look in verse 12. The Bible says these words, And I saw the dead, small and great, 
stand before God. You know, there's going to be a very diverse group of people in this life. There are going to be the, the adulterers and the blasphemers and the, the vilest of offenders. There, there are going to be some wicked men. There are going to be people who did everything they could to ruin people's lives on this earth. There are going to be crooks. There are going to be thieves. There are going to be scoundrels in this line. But did you know that there are going to be a lot of really good people in this line too? People that probably are a lot better than me. Both small and great. Rich and poor. Right and wrong. Oh, there's going to be a lot of people in this line. I'm reminded of the rich young ruler coming to Jesus. And he says, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him a list of things that he should do, a a list of qualifications. And man, that list was pretty strenuous, wasn't it? Oh, uh, love your neighbor as thyself and and, and honor thy father and mother. Man, there's a long list of stuff there. And the man is so confident in himself, and I take him at his word because the Bible says it. And he says, everything you just said, all these have I kept from my youth. And in my mind, I sit there and think, man, that guy has got it going on. He's got something right. He is as good and as polished of a person as you could ever want to meet. You know what Jesus tells him? One thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. See, that's going to be the thing that keeps most people out of heaven is the fact that they have not met the one. They've not accepted him as their Lord and Savior. And if you ask me, the rich young ruler was a good man. You know who else is going to be there? The thief on the cross. Oh, not the thief who accepted Christ. The one who the Bible says was hanging there and with his last breath on this earth, with the last breath that he had within him, his decision was not to conserve his oxygen. His decision was to mock the one hanging beside him. And the Bible says that he railed on him. And he was making fun of Jesus, mocking Jesus, saying, If you're God, why don't you save us? And the other man on the other side of Christ looks at him and he says, How about you quiet down? Because you and I are here for a reason. We have received the things that we have because we have justly been tried. But this man has done no wrong. There's going to be a lot of people between the rich young ruler and the thief on the cross in hell. There's going to be a lot of really, really good people who never accept Christ. And I'll be honest with you, it's a shame if we do not do everything within our power to tell even the vilest offender about the Lord Jesus. You see... I would think that Paul would be just one filthy, low-down scoundrel if he was still a Saul. I would think that Peter out there on the, on the waters fishing, I think he's just probably a sailor cursing and, and, and doing everything he wanted to because he, he was his own type of man. But then he met the Jesus man and changed his life. You see, we judge people and we think, oh, they're either too good or they're too bad. How about we recognize that Revelation 20 is a literal event? 
How about we start believing our Bible? How about we start understanding that this, when it says something, means it and it's true? And how about because we are concerned for our fellow man, we do everything in our power to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ? The judge, I want you to look secondly with me, at an inescapable conclusion. An inescapable conclusion. You see, everybody here, it's going to be an innumerable congregation, but everybody here will come to one conclusion. There's no way around it. It's inescapable. They have no choice in the matter before they've already made their choice. And it's a sad thing because in verse 12 and 13, we see a shared trait between all of them. The Bible says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Now, as men, as humans, it's so easy to get this idea that we can impress God with our works. But my friend, if we were judged upon our works, we'd be in hell quicker than anyone. Our works are as filthy rags to a righteous and holy and sovereign God. We cannot impress God with our very, very best efforts. Oh, we're wicked. We, we don't even understand how wicked we are. We think we're good and we think we're clean and we think we're polished, but if we were able to view ourselves through the eye of a holy God, we would not be able to stand ourselves. And these folks here, every single one of them share one trait. They're being judged on their works, not the fact that they have Jesus. And when you're judged upon your works, it always ends poorly. Look in verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. You see, this judgment is a judgment not for Christians, not for folks who were saved, who ever accepted Christ as their Savior. No, this judgment is solely reserved for the lost. We will not have to stand trial for our sins as we spoke a few weeks ago. For our sins were hung on the cross of Calvary. And Christ has taken them and has cast them as far as the east is to the west. And they're in the depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness. Never to be brought up again because God can't remember what he's already done for God. I'm so thankful for that. But there is a group of people here who do not have Jesus to clothe them in his righteousness. Who do not have his perfect salvation as a propitiation for their sins. And they're going to be judged. I want you to notice this. I don't want to just teach this. I want to prove it. John chapter 5, verse 28, speaks of two different resurrections. The Bible says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, there's a resurrection of life and a resurrection of damnation. Life is Christians, folks who are saved. I take that back. It is not Christians, because Christians has never saved anybody. It is those who know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior unto the resurrection of life. And it is probably a lot of Christians going to be in the resurrection of the damnation, unfortunately. The resurrection of, uh, of death, because they truly didn't accept Christ. They were just Christians. My friends, it's such a sad thing. Two different resurrections. Not only that, 
Romans 14, verse 10 talks about how, uh, well, I'll read it for you. But, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Who stands before the judgment seat of Christ? The Bema seat of judgment? Brothers. Brethren. No sinner will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And no Christian will stand before the great white throne of judgment. They're two completely different judgments and two completely different resurrections. Luke chapter 14 verse 4 speaks of the resurrection of the just. And thou shalt be blessed for they cannot recompense thee for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. I could not imagine being one of these folks whether called up from the grave, whether called up from the sea, whether called up from uh, uh, life here, I could not imagine finding myself in an entire single file line of condemned people. You see, it's not like one person comes up and he receives a not guilty verdict. Person after person after person will be sentenced because their works were not good enough to get them in heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ will look at them and say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Your works did not gain you any favor with a holy God, and you have fallen short of the acceptable uh, sacrifice for heaven, which was Jesus Christ. It's such a shame that we as Christians have compartmentalized the fact that there are a lot of people going to be standing in the judgment of condemnation. That is not what... God's idea was. That was not what his desire was because uh, there's not only a shared trait, there's a shared fate. Verse 14, the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Oftentimes you will hear this question asked, But how can a loving God send people to an eternal hell? You want to get God's opinion on the matter? Well, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 says this. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It was not God's plan for any man to go to hell. It was God's plan to send His only begotten Son so that the world through Him might be saved. It was not God's plan to send anyone to hell. It is man who is choosing to go there. The Bible says in John chapter 3, directly after verse 16, verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the Son of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light came in, is come into the world, And men love darkness rather than they love light. Oh, a loving God does not want to sentence anyone to an eternal banishment and punishment in the lake of fire. A loving God did everything he possibly could to make sure that that did not happen. In fact, he gave the very, very best that he had. 
packaged him up and sent him to this old rotten, wicked, filthy, sinful world so that men like you and me could take our grimy hands and beat his only begotten son. He did everything he could, and at one point in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father had to be separated for the only time in history because the Father could not look upon the Son with sin. My friend, God did everything he could so that no man had to stand in this life. Are you doing everything you can to make sure that nobody does? If we cared at all, for our neighbor. We would not care if they rejected us. We would not be concerned with whether or not they would lend us their lawnmower next week. We would do everything that we could. Our very heartbeat would be missions. Our mission would become missions truly in in word and in deed. Oh, because there are men and women one day Uh, I want to say innocent men and women, men and women who probably didn't even have a good uh, uh, explanation of the gospel. But because Jesus has revealed himself in creation in Romans chapter 1 and has given his, uh, uh, the law of God is written in their heart because of those two things, God will one day have to say, I did everything I could to make sure you did not stand here. I sent the very best I had so that you did not have to spend eternity in hell. But you chose to reject him. And you loved your darkness rather than you loved light. Every man in this line shares one fate. I want you to see this. We're done. Finally, an insufficient conviction. I want you to read with me in Revelation chapter 21, immediately following... The, the Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. 11 through 15 is what's known, as we have already said, as the great white throne of judgment. That is when every sinner, any man, any woman who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be sentenced to an eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Verses 1 of chapter 21. I want you to see this. The, t- the story takes a turn for the better. Now, these men and women are condemned for eternity, but I want you to see this. Verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. You see how the passage has taken a severe turn for the better. God now is supreme. God now, there's no sin. God now is is ushering in uh, the new Jerusalem where he will reign, where he will be the ruler. And there will be no sin present. I want you to notice in verse number four, something that shocks you, something that catches your eye. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, if you study your Bible, you know this has reference to the fact that there will be no more parting. 
When I get there, all my loved ones who knew Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will be together with God forever. And you can think what you want, but at the end of the day, I will never have to face another funeral when I get to the new Jerusalem. Amen? But if you study your Bible, how long have we already been in heaven? 1,007 years. See, there's the tribulation, and there's the millennial reign. And now we find ourselves at the great white throne of judgment, and these folks are condemned. Now let me ask you a question. Think with me. Biblically think with me. Why has God not already wiped the tears away? He had a thousand and seven years to do it. Man, we've experienced the, the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. We've, we've seen people taking their crowns and throwing them at the Lord Jesus' feet. We've seen some wonderful things in heaven. I'm talking about streets of gold type of stuff. I'm talking about God being the ruler. I'm talking about no sin. I'm talking about no sorrow. But why hasn't he already wiped away the tears? Because Revelation chapter 20 still was there. And I promise you this, friend. It will be a near unbearable sight to see men and women ever banished from an eternal loving God because they chose to reject Him. There will be no more death. There will be no more parting. But you know what? God couldn't wipe away the tears from our eyes yet because this is going to be a hard day. This will not be a pleasant day in heaven because included in this congregation is we'll be there. And we'll see our neighbor standing in line We'll see those folks who we dealt with every day at work. We'll see our friends. We'll see our loved ones. We'll see everyone we just did not have the confidence and the courage and the conviction to stand up and say, Friend, there's an eternal hell. Friend, there's a loving God. Friend, you are a sinner and you need to meet my Savior. And we'll see every single one of them. You know why God can't wipe away the tears beforehand? Because there will not be a dry eye in the place this day. It will be a hard day for us. Let me ask you a question. Suppose right before September 11, 2001, you had received an email accidentally, but you did receive an email laying out the plans of the terrorists. You received the fact what flights they were going to be on, what buildings they were planning on attacking. You knew it, and you knew the names of the men who were going to do it. You had seen that they had gone to uh, pilot training. You had seen all those things, and you were the only one privy to the information. What would you do to make sure that those Twin Towers had never fallen? I would say you would have done everything in your power. You would have gone to the highest power that you could have. You would have approached anybody who would listen. You would have tried getting the message out because you did not want the Twin Towers to fall. You did not want all those people to die. You did not want New York City to crumble like it did. You would not have to see the clips after clip after clip on Fox News and CNN for you Democrats. You would not have, have had to see that. And you would have done everything in your power to get the message out. Would you have not? I would say you wouldn't be an American if your answer is no. 
Listen to me. I would say you're not a real Christian. If you are not a lunatic for God, if you are not doing everything in your power to stand in the way of sinners who are going to hell saying, I've seen the plot. I've seen the end. You want no part of this line. You want no part of this judgment. Friend, I love you. Friend, there was a Savior that loved you. And I cannot bear to think about this day if you have to stand before a holy God and be judged upon your works. What are we doing? You see, with knowledge comes a responsibility. We know what's going to happen. Then why are we so on and off again? Why are we so lackadaisical? Why are we so content with the way we share the gospel? I think because we know this part of the story, because we know there will be people here who never truly heard a perfect plan of salvation, I think it ought to be our very heart's desire to get that message to them. I don't want the burden of seeing someone have to be cast into a hellfire, a lake of fire, because I did not have the courage to tell about Jesus. Because I did not have the gall to tell them about really the one great thing in my life that's ever happened. That's meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've read the back of the book, you have a responsibility to tell everybody you know about the one who wrote the book. 